0: world schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Is your child a reluctant writer? Do they struggle with reading? If your answer to either of these questions is yes, the night zookeeper may be just what you've been looking for. Night Zookeeper is an online learning program for children aged 6 to 12 years old and uses a gamified approach to help to keep kids engaged and focused on developing awesome reading and writing skills, all while having fun at the same time. Some of the features we love include the educational games, the fun challenges, the personalized feedback, and the super safe community pages where children can work with each other and learn together. If Night Zookeeper sounds like the perfect learning program for your child, you can try it for free by clicking on the link in my show notes. When you register, you'll get a seven-day risk-free trial as well as a huge 50% off of your annual subscription. That's a great deal if you ask me. You can try Night Zookeeper today and make reading and writing fantastically fun for your child. Just go to the link in my show notes. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson and I'm an unschooling mom to two kids who are now teenagers and I'm also the creator and host of this podcast and as always I'm grateful that you're tuning in. And I just want you to know that even though we unschool, this podcast does explore unschooling but it also explores the many different forms of learning outside of the walls or those ideas of the school structure. I really want to give you a window into what learning can look like, sound like, feel like without school. I know it may be a radical idea for some, or maybe not for others, but if this idea of learning outside of the school or the traditional institution or the industrial institution bothers you, I'd like to ask you why. Why does it bother you if someone else chooses to live a learning life that's different? that's unique to them or to their individual kids and learners? What about it really, truly makes you uncomfortable? And then you're free to share your ideas with me. You can email them to me. You can DM me on Instagram or Facebook or go onto my website and just send me something in my contact information. But right now, I'm here to share more of those stories or those stories outside of a learning life outside of the traditional or or industrial model with you so that you can learn from them and be inspired. And if you are inspired, please leave a review. That really helps this podcast to get seen and noticed. And just is a great way to support the work that I'm doing, that we are doing, that we're building all around us. And if you're also looking for further ways to support this podcast, then join my Patreon community, patreon.com slash Homeschooling the Kids, because not only does it help to support the podcast so I can continue creating more episodes, but there's a lot in it for you. There's additional resources, downloads like my game schooling guide you can find in there, Home Educating with Purpose workbook is in there as well, which helps you to ask those questions to get to that why. What about learning? outside of the norm is uncomfortable. What was your learning life like? What did success look like for you in school? How would you change things if you could do things differently? And what does all that look like for your children? Not only that, I also offer a live Q&A every month Sometimes with special guests or sometimes I'm just a special guest or you're the special guest where you can bring all of those questions, those doubts, those concerns to me and we do a live Zoom at the end. It's every the last Sunday of every month. So if you want to be part of that, go to patreon.com slash I'm Homeschooling the Kids and join Patreon, join my Patreon community. For this summer, I'm offering everything to all payment levels because I want it to be accessible to everyone so that you can get the support that you need. You can also go to my show notes where I usually almost always include a link to Patreon, to my Patreon community in the show notes. So this episode today is a fantastic episode if you're looking into a new school year, you are really getting around this whole deschooling thing and want to hear from a parent who has lived through this entire process, now has grown kids and grandkids and how this played out for her unschooling her children and really stepping into the right side of normal. <laughs> a life that really honors each of her individual learners. And here's a little tip to look out for. We talk a lot about learning to read as unschoolers, how that was unique to each of her kids, the ages, which was very different for each one of them, and how she supported that individual pursuit. So I learned a ton from this episode and from chatting with Cindy. Cindy Gaddis is the author of the book, The Right Side of Normal. You can find her on our website, The Right Side of Normal, com which actually has a ton of resources and information also the founder of a self-directed learning community for teens for middle schoolers and high schoolers so enjoy this episode and i would love to hear your feedback on this enjoy so today i have cindy gaddis joining me on the podcast i am actually so happy to have cindy here and to have a chance to chat with her thank you for being here today Glad to be here. That's good. So, Cindy Gaddis is a 30 year home education veteran and mother of seven right brain children, ages 21 to 35, and grandmother to two sweet babies, ages five and two months. She's married to her high school sweetheart, and they live in a log house on 15 acres in beautiful central North Carolina. A passionate advocate for understanding and honoring the natural learning path for creative right brain children, Cindy is a popular conference speaker and writer on the subject. Cindy wrote her book, The Right Side of Normal, in order to reach more parents and teachers who want to benefit from strengths based learning for right brain children. Cindy fulfilled her dream goal of opening a creative learning center in 2017 in a 1920s farmhouse on 18 acres and primarily mentors middle high school attendees in collaborative education. You can find her at www.therightsideofnormal.com, where she offers homeschooling consultations and relevant content for supporting creative right-brained learners. Hey, thank you so much. Welcome. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. So I guess we can probably start, um, maybe if you can let us know, if anyone is just being introduced to you now on the show, what led you to this journey that you've been on, to home educating, um, to unschooling, to supporting, and then to, to really focusing on right brain learners. But first, why even homeschool in the first place?
1: That is a good question. And because, you know, as I, as I mentioned in, in the little intro you did, uh, I married my high school sweetheart and we actually both liked school. Uh, we were good at school. We were heavily involved in sports. And so when we envisioned our future together, our children were in school <laughs> <laughs> because, hey, you know, that was going to be the cool thing to do. Um, so then, you know, fast forward, I, we start having our children and, and we had them very close together and it was time to pre-register my five-year-old. So, in we marched to do that. And I was all excited. He was all excited. And we go in and I'm thinking I get to see him do this pre-registration, but we go in there and they look at me and they say, mom, you need to come over here and do the paperwork. And we're taking your child. It was just funny because I was just like, "Oh." I thought I was going to, you know, they're kind of like patting me on the head. No, mom, it's time to cut the apron strings. It's kind of like that attitude. And I'm like, what? Yeah, you know, it's I like, go, no, mom. I'm just Let like, go. yeah, yeah, and like, I was involved and was so fun. It's like, so I begrudgingly went and started filling out the paperwork. And as I'm filling out this paperwork, you know, they're starting to ask questions that surprise me. Like, what is his birth history? And I'm like, what? why are they asking such questions? And I start, I find myself for the first time really becoming that first step of pushing against the box, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, that's none of their business, N-A, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I start finding myself putting N-A, oh, what are their siblings' name? N-A, none of your business. You're getting my child, you're not getting the rest of mine till they're five. You know, and I just start having this like, thing going on is I'm filling out this paperwork and then finally I just stopped filling out the paperwork, put it away, go to get him. They came out saying, oh, he 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 was wonderful and passed with flying colors. And I'm like, of course he did. Just give me my child. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to leave because this whole feeling I'm having is not feeling right. I just don't like it, you know. And of course, you know, when you ask parents when you're ch- you're putting your child in kindergarten, they're all they all say, yeah, it's hard at first, but you get used to it, right? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit in these feelings. I'm not going to chase the feelings away. I'm not going to grab hold of what they're saying. You'll get used to it. I just want to sit in it and Mm -hmm. see what this means. (laughs) And then out of the air comes the word homeschooling. I knew one homeschooling family. It was not a good experience, (laughs) So that certainly wasn't the reason I was thinking about it, but the idea came into my mind. And so I start researching it and basically the rest is history. Um, I, I got lucky. So we, I did a lot of research, a lot of pillow talk with my husband saying, oh, what about this? And Oh my gosh, listen to this. And you know, etc. I reached out to some of my friends at the time and found, now, we were corporate gypsies. We moved around every one to three years. That's what I call ourselves. <laughs> Um, when we started. And so I didn't know a lot of people, but I found this person who homeschooled and she said to me, well, first we got to find out how you want to homeschool. And I'm like, what, how (laughs) there's something called how? (laughs) And she says, yes. She said, I think that you'll recognize it when you read it. And she happened to have a, a paper that had blurbs about different types, like Montessori, Waldorf, um, classical, you know, and unschooling. So as I'm reading through, she's sorry, she had a paper, like her own written paper or was no, it, No, I think it came from a book. Okay. And I don't know what book it was. Okay. Um, so I'm reading through these blurbs and when I get to unschooling, I'm going, Oh, that's what we're already doing. Let's that's, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. So let's just keep going. And she goes, Oh, good. Cause that's what I am. So that'll make that easy. <laughs> <laughs> So unschooling came into our lives and really that's exactly true my my first is a classic wonderful meant to be unschooler he was always into his projects he always had serious interests like christmas was super easy to buy for <laughs> and so yeah. were his birthdays like he just he was all about whatever he was all about yeah and so frankly at 5 I'm thinking you know he's just getting fun you know why yes. am i going to send them away <laughs> so let's try this out and but you know what's funny is we really had been unschooling all the way up to then and right when it was supposed to be school my little left-brained <laughs> liking school mentality kicks in and now i'm 8 months pregnant with number 4 okay so due in september so i thought in august i'm going to go ahead and get started and get everything planned out and get us, you know, going so that you know we have a rhythm going before the baby comes. And I start with school at home. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm really totally normal, yeah. <laughs> right? It's like it's it's like you lose your mind. Like yeah. You're, you're doing what you're doing, and then at five, you're you lose your mind thinking it has to change. And of course, he was having none of it. He he lasted two weeks and was just absolutely refusing <laughs> to to go along with my plan. And then. And then my fourth child was born. And I always say, the birth of my fourth child saved the education of my first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The birth of your fourth child saved the education of your first. Okay. okay.
1: Because I had no time. You know, when you have a newborn Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's number four. So I've got two others besides my five-year-old. Right, You know, I'm full-time taking care of this baby. So I'm just watching, right? I don't have time to interfere and uh, continued as we were doing. And I learned so many lessons that first year, but that's how we got into unschooling.
0: Okay. So I want to know first, what are some of those lessons that you learned by just observing?
1: Oh gosh, I've I've even labeled them. Okay. So we have the snake lesson, (laughs) the snake story lesson. Okay. So- we had done a little unit study sometimes and he liked them and, but it was very casual. And he said, I want to do a snake lesson. And I didn't, couldn't find a snake unit lesson. So I thought, well, I'm going to try my hand at doing my own. And so let's go to the library and we're going to get all the snake books we can find and everything that all the snake books we have at home and we're going to gather together. But because again, I was, raising four children I had it took two weeks for me to get this unit study together and in the meantime he's looking at all the books
0: <laughs> and well, he's asking at, me at questions
1: yeah well from the library right okay. they're at my house he's right. looking okay. at the books he's asking me questions I'm answering them he's not a reader um and so when I say okay we're starting Monday he was so excited he comes <laughs> running downstairs and I'm going all right here's what I'm starting with and he looks at me and he goes, I already know that. I said, okay, well, let's go to the next thing. All right, I'm going to talk, talk about this. His face falls. I already know that. It's <laughs> like, well, dread it. What don't you know? Here, here's my lesson plan. <laughs> what don't you know? And he had a few craft things that he thought was going to look interesting that he'd like to do. But then as I'm talking to him, I noticed that he knew everything you never wanted to know <laughs> about cobras and pythons. But he didn't know things about rattlesnakes and pit vipers. So I said, how about we do those then? He goes, no, thanks. I'm not interested. (laughs) And I'm like, listen, kid, in my mind, I'm thinking, listen, kid, (laughs) I just spent all this time preparing this lesson. You're going to listen to this lesson. But a thought came to my mind. I thought, let's, let's do that. It became flipped onto me. I said, let's teach him one thing about a pit viper. Why is it called a pit viper? So I Taught him about why a pit viper is called a pit viper. And he said, fine, went on his merry way. Asked him later in the day, why is a pit viper called a pit viper? Couldn't answer me. So I retaught it. Asked him again several days later, still can't answer it. And this goes on. And I realize in that moment, I can sit there and plan and plan and plan or think I'm going to teach and teach and teach. But if he's not interested, he's not going to retain that information. Mm. And what was really cool is I'm telling this story 10 years later and he's like 14 and, and the, the people who are listening to my story say, well, does he know where the pit viper is now? <laughs> and I said, know. I don't know. Let's go find out. <laughs> so I go ask him, you know, you know, what's a pit viper and, or, yeah, I went and told him and he said, and he listened to what I was saying, because I think I was telling the story, the Reader's Digest version of the story, and telling him what a pit viper was. And he said, Mom, I think a rattlesnake is a pit viper. You've got that wrong. And and I go look it up, sure enough, because <laughs> I said rattlesnakes and pit vipers, right? Right. And a rattlesnake is a pit viper. And I'm thinking, see, he knows more. <laughs> Right. And I do. He ended up figuring out right when he wanted to. And he right. still knows more than the teacher does. Right. So that was one huge lesson. And it really just backed me all the way off because I'm thinking I don't have time. I don't have time to prepare these lessons when I've got when I chose to have this many children together <laughs> for it to just not matter. Right. So that was a huge one. Another one was he came to me, and he starts telling because he loved dinosaurs. And he starts telling me about how dinosaurs are, either they're bird-boned or reptile-boned, something along those lines. I'm thinking, how do you know that? Because, again, he doesn't read. And he goes, well, these pictures, were showing it in this book, and I just assume that. And starts telling me what he's just gathering from just the pictures alone. And I'm like, wow, see? give them more credit for being able to be inferencers than thinking that they need direct instruction as long as they have resources that they can make sense of which you know since he wasn't a reader a lot of these visual materials he really really enjoyed so those were some of the big
0: lessons okay um and you know, since you you've mentioned this, and I know this is a common question, and I know you get this question as well too. Maybe could you just share quickly um, your like, because you said he didn't know how to read. You know, reading is something that comes up with uh, about questions with unschooling parents about how they learn to read. When should, in quotations, should they learn to read? What are your reflections on that after seven kids? <laughs>
1: well you know that's 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 a big question that i am passionate about because it really does fall in line with the right brain left brain stuff um, when i came listen the thing is i was a big reader i was a big reader growing up so of course my goal was i wanted all my children to love to read right, right. and you'll hear that from other readers yep um and there's several things i learned in that in that way of thinking first of all i started understanding that we call people bookworms or readers who are pleasure readers. Often if, if someone's always pleasure reading, oh man, they always have their nose stuck in a book, right? right? And so I was a big pleasure reader. But as I'm watching my oldest, he was not a pleasure. He didn't he would not read Dr. Seuss. Uh-uh no, that was he didn't like nonsensical things like that. He was always at nonfiction section of the library, not fiction. And so he was just like a, a realist. And so he was a, an information reader. He was always in a book. it was always for information. And then my next child, my daughter, was the, the typical re- pleasure reader. And she read lots of Dr. Seuss. And that's how she learned to read for herself. And then my next son, who was a big Lego guy, he was an instructional reader. He did not read for pleasure. He did not read for information. He read for instruction. Mm. And so th- the first thing I understood was there are different types of readers. And we value pleasure readers. Where that comes from, that, that's what we b- value. And so I started realizing I need to value a different way of viewing loving to read, right? And so then I started saying, and I started changing my view of saying, I, don't, I, don't, I no longer want to say I want them to love to read. I want them to have a positive relationship with print.
0: A positive oh. relationship with print. Okay. Yes. A whole different vantage
1: point because they all had a great relationship with print. They just weren't coming at me in the typical value system, right? Um, So the other thing was, I looked at my children and they seemed quite intelligent. (laughs) They were showing me their intelligence. So why wouldn't they read? That was my thinking, was there was never a fear there in that sense, I just thought, why wouldn't they read? Now, wow. I was it was quizzical for me to watch my oldest not read till he was nine. Okay? So my first was nine. But it has everything to do with the right brain thing that we will talk about a little later. Um, typically, right brain learners will start to learn to read between eight and ten. That's normal. Doesn't mean they don't read sooner. Doesn't mean they don't read later but that's a typical starting point because they're image-based learners. So he was absolutely an image-based learner. Traditionally speaking, he was an artist, um, did a lot of drawing. So he wasn't, just wasn't interested in print. And so I just valued that because I saw him showing his intelligence in lots of other ways outside of read. And he absolutely had a positive relationship with print. He was in books all the time. And he loved listening to my read-alouds. Now, this was my opportunity. I have kids like, yes, someone will let me read aloud to them. Because I'd always beg everyone when I was a child, let me read to you, let me read to you. No, go away.
0: <laughs> now you like, have these yes. kids and you're like, here's my opportunity, That's my right, I get to read
1: aloud. So that was like one of my huge things I love to do was read aloud to them. He loved that. And he could tell me all about what we were what we were talking about, uh, reading about. So when he started to learn to read at nine, he did the typical zero to hero. Right. So you're just learning to read. And the next thing I do, look, I turn around, he's reading a novel and I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, an adult novel at that. And I'm thinking, I went up to him, I said, are you understanding that? And he said, enough. And we can talk all about what that means too. It's a whole right brain thing. So yeah, my oldest was nine. The next was five. The next was learned at 10. The next learned at four. The next learned at seven. The next learned, and I'll say a uh, past emerging reader. So a, a basic competent reader was 13. And well, actually I put him more at 15. And then the last was about 13. Um, so there is a wide range of ages that my children learned. But one of the things that stood out to me in my little science experiment of my seven children <laughs> was we, as people in our culture, tend to equate early reading with high intelligence. Yes, yeah. So when you hear someone say, oh, my child learned to read at four, oh, they must be so smart, right? And and we're thinking, oh my gosh, my child is not smart enough and that's why they're not learning to read. Has nothing to do with it. So my my number four child, who was four when he learned to read, he has, um, he lives with autism in an extreme way and he was not speaking very much at four years old, but he loved the alphabet. That was his perseveration. And he knew that since he was one. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I could teach him to read. If I teach him to read, I might be able to teach him to speak through reading.
0: Right. And not
1: most people would think that you need to learn to speak before reading. Yeah. But in this yeah. case... He learned to read and it picked up very quickly. And then I would start writing out what I'd like him to learn how to say. And he learned to speak through reading. Very interesting, right?
0: Very. (laughs) So you were writing out (laughs) what you wanted him to learn to say. And so so if
1: I I wanted him to say, what is your name? I would write, my name is Adam. You know, and he read it. My name is Adam. okay very interesting right so and and he loved those he loved to match that up he'd love to match the question up with the answer he loved matching it was like a thrill for him and that's why how i taught him to read was matching uh, a picture with a word picture with a word um and then we just started going from there and then of course we talked about my nine-year-old who had an iq that was gifted and yet he learns to read at nine and then this four-year-old, who has an IQ in the mentally retarded section in the zone, learned to read at four. So it just became this very apparent, easily identifiable fact that learning to read at what age has nothing to do with your IQ or your intelligence. It has to do with your the way you learn to read. So he was it was a perseveration for him. He loved the alphabet so much. So, I, and he loved to match. So I could put that together. My older son, he was an image-based learner. He needed to create a library of images before he then could use that to translate and decode later. And 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 he did. So, and, and then my third child who was 10, he is that Lego builder. Lego builders tend to be very spatially gifted. So again, words and two-dimensionality was not, A thing that was of interest to him so he didn't go into that until again with the right brain scope and sequence um at the latter end of that eight to ten and i find builders builders often can be a little bit later on that scale of learning to read and he learned to read with bob books
0: Mm. so
1: it's like everyone was a little different in how they
0: came to it right okay that's fascinating okay Okay, one quick question. If you can clarify, you've used the word with your son who has autism. The word perseveration. Mm -hmm. Can you? I'm I'm unfamiliar with the definition or meaning meaning of that in the context. Can you explain that to me, please?
1: So, in the autism world, one of the um, criteria in which you are going to be able to be diagnosed with autism is what they call a perseveration or an intense interest in a lot of times, parts of things, um, unusual things, like um, some of the things that a lot of kids with autism like are ceiling fans. Mm-hmm. Um, they like uh, vacuum cleaners. Mm-hmm. Um, my son likes steering wheels for a while. I, I have three children diagnosed with autism. Uh, trains are an interest, schedules, um, things like that. So now in the unschooling world, because I've been on-schooling, three or four years before the first diagnosis of autism hit our family. And it was very useful to me because what I did, of course, it's an interest, an intense interest. Now, sometimes it seems unusual in how they interact and relate with it, but you can then take it. What I decided to do is say, okay, this is their interest and I'm just going to help them see different ways of viewing that interest and keep expanding that interest instead of saying it's a negative thing, which sometimes Mm -hmm. it's viewed that way um we can steer it so it doesn't have to be negative and it can be something that is important to them and can go somewhere right
0: right okay so yeah okay thank you for clarifying that i appreciate okay thank you very much okay so then can we get into right brain left brain now because i think it's absolutely relevant yeah. um and you speak on it so well and clearly so Let's dive into that. <laughs> okay. um, what What do you mean? First, like, what do you mean by right brain, left brain?
1: All right. The first thing I don't mean is that we right. don't have a whole brain that we use. <laughs> right. um, in the professional world, some years ago, maybe in the last ten years, um, they've decided not to use that label anymore. So sometimes people won't even listen to me because I'm using old labels, right. um, but and, and it's only because people were overgeneralizing and saying, oh, we use our whole brain. Of course you do. You can be right brain dominant or left brain dominant. But the reality is they are aware that different parts of the brain specialize in different uh, strategies and skills. And there's also what I found is a, an identifiable set of traits that go with people who prefer to process things through the right side of the brain and those that process through the left side of the brain. Um, Just a quick example that might make it even more clear is when they've done, now that we can do brain scans and everything, Mm -hmm. when they have hooked up what they consider good classic readers, the left side of the brain lights up the most With just some on the right side of the brain, okay? Okay. But when they take dyslexic people and do the same thing, most of it lights up on the right side of the brain and just a little on the left. So, of course, that's why they're saying some that's what's wrong, quote-unquote, with dyslexic people. What I see with dyslexic people are these are right brain people tried to be being shoved into a left brain scope and sequence Mm -hmm. and it has not valued and given um, space for their natural path to learning to read. So therefore, the brain may have mixed things up as they were trying to figure it out. Um, And that's why I have to say this as loud as I can, because behind every learning disability label is a right brain dominant learner. And that's gotta be a red flag to us to say, why wouldn't there be left-brain dominant people who are learning disabled? Why is it only right-brain dominant? Why that is, is because right-brain dominant people don't fit the scope and sequence found in school, which favors left-brain learners. So they look at these children who say, these are intelligent people who are not learning in this environment, so something must be wrong. So we need to now decide what it is so we can pull them over and do something different. So if my oldest son had been in school being a gifted person, he would have probably been labeled twice exceptional. Right. Twice exceptional means, wow, you're gifted, but you're not learning to read yet, right? What's wrong? So you must have a learning disability, which is not true. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to say that there are no such things as learning disabilities, but I think that they would be greatly reduced if we understood the right brain natural learning path and valued it.
0: Right. They wouldn't if we understood that and also and then supported the environment for that learner. Right. There wouldn't be a need to right they we, we right. wouldn't have to classify them or categorize them or say anyone is less than or more than everyone right,
1: because when my son learned to read at 9 and in a few years he was a very competent reader and had no issues whatsoever but if he had been put been in school, that would have been a big problem.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, because, I mean, you and any of my other children as been well. as life left brain learners, and school was very easy. You you fit into that very well. Right.
1: Correct, and that's why I lo- I'm very left brain dominant, and I loved school. I loved getting a, a math paper full of math equations, <laughs> and I get all excited. Ooh, I'm going to perfectly fill all this out and it has all right answers. (laughs) And it just really, you know, sparked what my strengths were. Um, and then I'm looking at my son and it was really fascinating because I'm, he liked the things I hated, right? So he loved history. I found history extremely boring. Um, but history is a huge image-based story. And so right brain, uh, people tend to love history young. So from five to seven years old, instead of doing reading, writing, arithmetic, they're doing things like history that is all visual. Science, which is the visual part of our um, world. Um, Cultures, people and places. Um, Animals, dinosaurs. Um, Things like that. Things in the natural world that is three-dimensional, that is image-based. And they just love that. So he's dragging me at five to natural history museums, the, mm-hmm. I remember going to for field trips thinking that was the worst thing ever <laughs> <laughs> to have to endure um, as a left brain person.
0: So what about, so what about learners who can learners be like middle or something like ones who do enjoy maybe more of the left brain, you know, things that I'm thinking left brain like um like yeah, like a school classroom, how that yeah. is built and, and so, how that it's but then they still love that history and you know that that broader scope of um you know those pieces that you would think would be more right brain.
1: Right. And and just a quick definition, if you want to say right brain people are image-based creative types and left brain people are word-based sequential types typically. Okay. It's a continuum, right? It's a continuum. We're not, you know, I have some very strongly right brain learners. I'm a very strongly left brain learner. So now let's talk about all the mud, right? So Mm -hmm. the female gene, the female um typical stereotypical traits of a female is left brain. We tend to be like our words. Like to organize, stereotypical, not that all women are like that. Stereotypically, men, the traits of a man are right brain, big picture thinkers, uh, image based, hands on, you know, type of learners, right? Mm -hmm. So now you can take, for instance, my daughter, who is a right brain female, but she loved words and she loved to organize. So she would be what we call whole brain dominant. So every type of dominant processor has uh, well-matched careers. So for instance, she makes a great creative writer because the right brain side sees this entire story in her head. I never did understand what I'd hear people who wrote fiction would say, the story wrote itself, right? right? It was all there. And as I was writing, I was just translating as it, it revealed itself to, my, to me. And I thought, I don't understand that. Well, once I started understanding how my children thought, she say, sees the entire story in its entirety, but she has to start over here to start translating it, right? And as it shows itself to her. So it's that right brain side when she has the story that she's translating is there. But then she's got the left brain traits of, I can take that image and now translate that into words and into sentences, into thoughts. And that's why, for instance, writing as it pertains to taking a story and writing on a piece of paper with pen tends to develop 11 to 13 years old for a a right brain dominant learner because of all that translation. It's harder for them until their brain is more organized to take that image and bring it down into words and sentences and organizing that. It's like a double translation for them. Um, so, but it's not that they're not writing, it's just that our society values writing as taking thoughts and putting them on paper. But writing is just expressing your ideas, right? So So, there's a way to do that. Yeah. Another way of expressing your ideas. They are always doing that. They love to do oral storytelling. Typically when they're young, Um, they love comic books and graphic novels. Typically, um, which has the pictures with the words. Um, They like to create videos and act things out. All of that is still expressing your ideas. It's just in a different form that Mm -hmm. we are not, taught to recognize and therefore then value
0: yes yeah absolutely yes um yeah because you think of anyone that could so clearly express in pictures yeah in video but has a hard time putting like the pen to paper the traditional way absolutely okay and you
1: yeah. and you know that that saying that says a picture's worth a thousand words mm-hmm. right yeah. and it yeah. really is yep yeah. Or a right dominant person. (laughs) They'll tell you the story if you ask them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So how, when you started learning about this, like, how did you even get it? Because I I can see how it really supported your family's learning journey. And I want to learn more about how specifically that has um, helped your family through the years. But where did you start learning? Like, how were you introduced to this in the first place?
1: So what i want the listeners to understand is i didn't know any of this okay i did not know any of this until i started researching when my oldest was about 14 okay how i was able to still allow the space for them to show their natural process was unschooling and de-schooling right mm-hmm. that when i when something would trigger me and i'd want to question oh my gosh, right? He's not reading yet at eight or he's not writing or whatever it is. I would de-school that. I would question it. I would wonder where that value system comes from. And is it true? And I have an intelligent son here and he's going to do it his way. So let's just keep watching and valuing and, and supporting, okay? How it came to pass was the internet. So I started homeschooling in 1992 when there was not an internet, Mm -hmm. um, face. So when my son was around 13, 14, I started going online because, you know, it was a desert before then folks, (laughs) 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 it was really hard. We had to really work hard to get together. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's like, wow, the whole, you know, the whole world's open to find other people, not just who I can drive to, right? There wasn't even email at that time. Yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm going online. I'm so excited. And I start hearing people talking about their children. That sounded a lot like my children. But the the description coming out of their mouths were resistant, mm-hmm. learning disabled, problematic. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 wait, hold on, pump the brakes. <laughs> I'm hearing when they're describing them sounds like my children, but they're not viewing them the same way I'm viewing mine. Right. What's the difference? What's going on here? Now you've got me intrigued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now I've got to find out what it is that my children were able to do and, you know, have the space for and why it looks different from this other point of view. And so I start reading and I start looking into things. And I find one of my first people I found was um, Jeffrey Freed's right brain children in the left brain world. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's my children there. He is describing my children and these other people's children or Thomas Armstrong, who said, I used to be a learning disabled specialist until I no longer believed in them and I had to quit. Mm-hmm. And I started writing books and describing these children. Um, So I start looking at those people um and start in, and stumble on this left brain, right brain thing. And then there's also all these other labels. I start, I'm just a seeker. I love to read, 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 self-help, 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 education, education, books, mm-hmm. <laughs> and anything I get my hands on. Um, and... Uh, so there was Linda Krieger Silverman, who was Upside Down Brilliance. I think that's out of print. She really got intrigued. She was really about gifted people that stumbled on the right brain um, side of things, and she had a lot of great things to say. Um, a really old book, uh, like I'm talking 1960s, I uh, something with unicorns in it, um, that was talking about the right brain attributes. So then I'm saying, okay. And then I start applying what I had seen with my children with this information, started researching brain studies and seeing all that supporting what had happened with my children. But what became really important to me as I discovered this and I start writing everything down and translating what I saw, remember what my children had been doing, and Jeffrey Free's book, or even Thomas Armstrong's books, they recognized that it's a left brain school. So Mm -hmm. their books often tell you tricks or strategies to help your right brain child fit in the left brain world. Right. So let me help you have your right brain child learn to read earlier or know how to spell better, et cetera, because you have to make it in this school. Right. It was really, really important to me not to do that in the book I wrote. I wanted to say, if there were no school, if there were no comparisons, and I just got lucky, I'm just going to tell you, because I had my fears and all that stuff like all y'all. I just, I was outnumbered, first of all, (laughs) (laughs) and I had my thinking from my childhood. I was, I was always a seeker. So I assumed my children would be seekers. So it didn't, I, 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 I came from the assumption of they will learn if given enough time in the right environment. So I did get lucky to have this environment that was not um, messed with in our value system from school. And I wanted to translate that to help people say, look, if you can create this other environment they flourish just the same way as these other children who are left-brain dominant do in school.
0: Hmm.
1: You just have to view everything differently. So it's really deschooling on crack. Right.
0: <laughs> I love or that. Maybe it's, on or maybe crack.
1: it's a okay. shortcut to de-schooling my book is because I tell you as a left-brain person to other left-brain moms or dads who are homeschooling their children, why they see what they see. Because sometimes when they get that why they they worry less, and then it makes more sense to them. Like, oh, that's why they're not reading till eight or nine. Okay, let me breathe. And now she's telling me what I can be doing at five, six, and seven instead. Okay, let me breathe. You know, I can do that. She's telling me why, and now I can embrace pushing against that system mm. a little easier.
0: Mm, that's awesome because you know, it's hard for parents, right? When everything around you is the opposite. Everything around you essentially that says that your children are learning well or not well, based on that left brain idea, those criteria that, um, yeah, is not for everybody, right? So, so yeah. So having de-schooling on crack, I love that. And the why and being able to look at it and relax and not hold that fear intention, which then trickles down to our kids, right? And our, and our learning environment. And then, you know, having other tools as well to help you through that. So could you give me an example of something that you share? If you have a child who's reading later, who is right brained and what kind of tools that you or things that you would say that you could support when they're younger. Can you give me an example of something like that?
1: Yes. And, and i pretty sure I've got different things at my website too. when people want to go back and look at yeah,
0: that. I recommend going to Cindy's website. It's a fantastic resource. Absolutely. So
1: five to seven years old, um, we all operate in our strengths. That's you're too young. You're, you're, you're just getting used to your brains or operation systems and you have your strength things. And so their strength thing is imagery. So picture dictionaries. Mm-hmm. You know they they are gonna they are gonna look at all those pictures, um, any pictorial oriented books. There are so many now. It used to not be like that. And they in the eighties and nineties and it became very popular. Like eyewitness books, um, that was my my science core for a lot of my kids was eyewitness books, um, anything uh, atlases. Um, that's how he learned all about all his animals. And then, in association, all of Scatnets and countries and right. those atlases. Those are great visual imagery based books that they're going to start collecting images, reading out loud to them or audiobooks. Because even if they're not reading, what you're doing is when they're hearing, you read it out loud, they are translating those spoken words into images. And that's going to be highly important when they learn to read, because when they read, they are translating those words into images. So you're already giving them practice in how to take words and throw them into images, right? Nice. So they can be very excited about um, being read aloud to. And but remember, they won't be looking longingly into your eyes. They will probably be drawing, or doing some Lego, or doing some other right brain activity. Because why they do that is in order to listen to a left brain activity, they have to turn the right side of their brain on. So they turn it on by doing something creative that can't be so creative that they get zoned in, right, and get into flow because then they're, they're not hearing now what you're saying. Right. So it's something light, if you would. Um, and so I got used to that because at first I I'm thinking, oh, look at all these children not paying attention to me. Right. You're not <laughs> oh, they were paying I'm attention. Paying that. Right. That's right. They were paying attention. Um, and so I just had to go past that. Um, that's a lot of the things you're doing. All the three, just getting them out in the world, um, hands-on visual imagery. And so they're, uh, what I call amassing a library of images during five to seven years old so that when eight to 10 comes, they're ready to start. um, And and the brain shifts. If you do any of brain research, eight to 10, they say you should have no formal academics before the age of eight. Mm -hmm. Every brain research from every angle supports that. And yet we do not value that in our culture. We just keep thinking it's supposed to be sooner, sooner, Mm -hmm. sooner, but nothing actually supports that. Right. So Eight to 10, their brain does a little integration. They're going to say, oh, I'm starting to get, you know, I got my strength down. Now I'm to pull in this other side and work a little bit better with that. So I'm ready to do some words. So that's why you'll see them be very interested in comic books or graphic novels or turn on that closed captioning on your TV set or the video games. A lot of them learn to read through video games because why all of these? Because they all have images. They have already been translated, so they can focus on the decoding. Right. It's just it's it's a scaffolding for them. So some people who might say, "Oh, that's you know, who is it? It's is it was it Montessori or uh, Charlotte Mason that said that it don't have twaddle." And and some people considered um, comic books twaddle. It is not for a right brain <laughs> child. That is a core source of great. Um, learning to read information. That's why my one son liked Bob books. Cause it has the, he liked the line visuals that were kind of humorous. Um, right. he got the humor <laughs> and then it had the little lesson with it. I, frankly, I didn't think he was going to end up reading after that. I thought that was going to be like just a very first step thing, but he kind of took off after that. Um,
0: but yeah, I remember. Yeah. I don't know. If, did you remember those other ones, um, Captain Underpants? Yes. Um, See, some people wrong. go, "Oh, I can't believe it wants to read that," but they I love know, the humor. Ours were worn out. Yes, <laughs> the pages were worn out. Like another one that's really <laughs> popular
1: with right brain children are um, the Magic Tree House books.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's a yeah, the Magic Tree House history and story. Yeah, Captain
1: Underpants. Yes, and Diary you know the story it. of that author. Is that he was absolutely right brained.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He tells that story. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Calvin and Hobbes, very, very popular with the right-brain people, because Calvin is definitely right brain.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so with imagery, then I'm also thinking, okay, well, things now with um the internet and videos and youtube mm-hmm. um and things like that would be ideal right ideal because that is video and imagery like you have that at your fingertips so much video and imagery, right I mean, and you I don't need reading
1: like, to learn anymore right the internet gives you a vast assortment of ways to learn now yeah without yeah but Absolutely. we have to reprioritize our value system (laughs) (laughs) in order to, to go there. Um, so it's just, it's our, it's our work to do. Um, so yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I love that. Okay. So, so when did you, so you said, so I'm trying to think, so your oldest was about 14 when you started learning this and And then now I know you also support other learners that are not your children. Right. Uh, right. So do you incorporate this? Can you tell more about your community that you have as well and and supporting young people in that too? And and how do you incorporate all of this into your learning center, into your community there?
1: Right. You know, what's interesting, Robin, is that it's actually not about taking this information and applying it. Let's go back to de-schooling on crack. <laughs> mm-hmm. It opens your mind to allow anything to happen. Right. And now you have the somebody made you feel warm and fuzzy about it by giving you the whys that why it might be seen in this section of people who learn this section of ways. So when I have this school, it's like it's self-directed. So it it still goes back to unschooling principles. The unschooling principles is why my children didn't have the learning disability labels and were happy and joyful learners, and the others weren't, because I did the work of questioning and allowing whatever they were doing to be valued. If they were doing it, there must be value. I remember my daughter would reread and reread books like a hundred times, 100 times, <laughs> I think she read the American Girl series
0: mm-hmm.
1: each. And I remember thinking, should I make her go on? Should I make yes. her not read these anymore?
0: You find something else and try and us. Yes.
1: Why is she doing this? But I thought, you know, who am I to say? That she can't do that now. What's really interesting about right brain learners, and once they got had a voice and they could start sharing because they could now verbalize once they were teenagers what their process was. Because when you're young, it's really hard for them to verbalize. Yeah. You know, you're asking why they don't know; they just are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just they're just drawn to it. They don't understand, but they said every time they reread, they added visual detail to the okay. imagery they created. Mm, See, okay. when I read, I feel. I feel the characters. I cannot see characters. And so to reread is just feeling the feeling all over again. So I don't see the value in it for me. So I, I, I have never reread a book. It just
0: never, never, ever,
1: maybe once or twice. Now that I've got my kids <laughs> because, you know, I read aloud to them and I now want to re-read that, reread that one aloud to the next group of kids. Um, but for myself personally, I would not.
0: Okay. okay, Even
1: though I actually often forget a lot of the details. I just know how it made me feel.
0: Right, okay.
1: And that that changed me however it was going to change me and I can move on to the next thing that want, I want to change me
0: <laughs> and shape me.
1: So it's just, that's how I do things. And, and the other thing is when Abby, she is a writer and when she started to write in her teen years, she wrote at about the... For the audience of the 9 to 12-year-olds. So the fact that she was reading and rereading books at that age group probably meant that inside of herself, she knew that's what she enjoyed reading. And now she wants to write for that audience. Right. So I thought that was, but I don't know that until, right, they're grown. I have to just trust in that moment that there's a reason that she enjoys rereading and rereading (laughs) rereading that those books. Um
0: no Cindy, this is so good to hear. And I hope the listeners, everyone that's listening really takes the time to stop and pause and process that because that's so much, you know, so many of the questions, the worries about when are they going to read, especially if I'm not teaching them how to read. And usually when they're talking about kids reading and writing, it's thinking of it in the traditional sense. Like they have to sit them down with like workbook or phonics or something like that. And and that's only how they're going to read. And then, you know, talking about like rereading something over and over and over again, but so much of it is the trust the the time they and really then that goes back to really the essential is a trust because when you have the trust you can give space for the time you can allow that time to happen because so much we just want to rush things we want to see the goal right now we want it to be produced right now and then that will um validate what we're doing that it's okay that we're doing the right thing that you know that that everything is going to be all right because then it still looks like Left brain school, right,
1: and you know it's not that I didn't offer things. Like for instance, the only one, the only one of my seven children who learned to read on their own is my daughter. I she was five, she did it through um, the Dr. Seuss books. I didn't realize she had done it. Also, I saw she was reading. Um, I would offer resources, but I didn't do it at five. From five to seven, I did not push any scope and sequence from school on my kids at all. Mm. I don't know why I just knew that. Again, I didn't know that at the time. Of course, I could apply that to my youngest children, but I just knew that they were young children (laughs) and they're supposed to play. And I just called it old-fashioned parenting. That's how I, I kept the fear at bay. I said, you know what? I kind of grew up being shoved outside all day and, you know, we had play kindergarten and all that stuff. And I turned out pretty smart. (laughs) So I thought, and my husband turned out pretty smart. So if I can give my children through seven, it's okay. They're going to be okay. Uh, I'm just going to call it old fashioned parenting and old fashioned uh, growing up. And that's what I'm going to sit on. Right. Right. Um, And to allow myself that space. Sometimes you have to tell yourself the story you need to tell yourself. Right to yeah. give yourself permission, right So that when people ask, "Oh, I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. remember when they used to be able to play off you know, outside and you know our grandparents played until they were seven, they didn't go to school till later, you know, and they're all smart. so that's what I'm doing. You know sometimes you just need that story to tell yeah. yourself and anyone else who comes up. So it was usually I didn't usually offer things until at least eight. And then like for instance, let's talk about my, my third who did the Bob books. So at eight, I remember offering the 100 easy lessons and he just, he just couldn't get it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm certainly not going to make him, I'm not going to torture the kid. So, okay, I'll just put it away. The next year I thought, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to make word cards and just make our own senses because I I noticed he likes to discover things. I thought, well, maybe you'll think it's fun to kind of create sentences, right? He could not, like, the, okay, the word the, which I didn't understand at the time. The word the, I'd have, like, the three times in the same sentence, and he would not remember it from the, you know, three words later, he couldn't remember the. I'm thinking, what in the world? How can he not know the? Well, let me give you a little quick reason why. (laughs) Remember, they're visual-based learners. When they Mm -hmm. first learn to read, they're going to learn to read picture-based words faster than non-picture-based words right so and the is not a picture that. yeah right yeah so they'll read encyclopedia and not the and you're thinking yeah. how can you read encyclopedia right <laughs> it's yeah. like 15 letters long yeah the is just three letters just three letters <laughs> but they will actually skip remember when my son said enough yeah because when they first start to read they may only read every third word Enough to catch the visual, right? And in actuality, the the most common way for a right brain learner to read is to skim read. They skim read off the top. So one of the great strategies, okay, not with, if you're left brain. I loved it. Read aloud in school. Who's going to read aloud? My hand was the first one up, right? Of course, they would never call on me. The <laughs> poor boys would shrink in there. So please don't call on me, right? Well, because right brain learners. Often we'll skip those little words. And if you're telling your child to read aloud to you as proof they can read, and they either skip those words or don't constantly know those words, you might start spotlighting it. And when you spotlight it, it freaks them out because they weren't noticing until you spotlight it. Right. And quick example, my my fifth child who learned to read at seven, he just actually happened to learn. He was one of my only ones that wanted to read aloud when he was learning to read. He wanted to read aloud to me. And he starts reading to me. Again, I didn't know at the time yet still. And he's like missing these words. And I remember thinking, should I tell him? Should I not tell him? <laughs> By that time, you know, I'm really good at the whole de-schooling, You know, questioning. Should I? Should I? Just, you know, so I thought, well, I'm going to try once. So I said, well, you, you forgot the the, and he kind of and you, and you, the face, his face, like, what are you talking about?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? Said, Never mind. <laughs> I just, I quickly passed it. You know, well, a year, and so he would do that. A year later, he wanted to read aloud to me again. Everything was there. It just takes, that's the last thing that comes in. That's all. Right. And so if you're paying attention and then you make them pay attention, you really could freak them out um, because they're not noticing. It's just their process. Another quick story. I was doing this, uh, saying this at a conference. A woman goes, oh my gosh, that's what happened to me in college. And I'm like, let's hear your story. She said. I had been this labeled dyslexic. I was a very slow reader. I go to college. They require you to take a speed reading class. And oh. she goes, oh, this should be fun. <laughs> a dyslexic person t- taking a speed reading class. Mm-hmm. Well, she said by the end of that class, she could read normally. And so what she said when she said, oh my gosh, that's what happened to me, was somehow for her, her brain was retaught how to learn the way she was supposed to read, which is skimming across the top instead of being bogged down in every phonetic sound. Right. Isn't that, now that's probably gonna happen to most people, but it did happen to that woman. And it was just another piece of evidence that says how a right-brained person typically learns to read. And so when I sat there and watched my son doing this again, I just kept saying, well, not ready. Cause if you can't see the two words down, then, you know, that's what, that was my thought process at the time. So mm-hmm. then 10 comes. So that was nine. Now 10 comes. I thought, well, let's try Bob books. You know, Bob books might be, you know, he likes to discover. Remember he's a self-discoverer. Uh, builders often are, let me figure it out. And so I gave him the Bob books, gave him a brief understanding of that, their little teaching and off he went. And like I said, that was at 10, 11 and at 13, he was reading, um, C plus manuals. Hmm. So it's like, and, and now was he ever actually a strong reader? He was actually, um, he was, he's also one that's diagnosed with autism, high functioning. His thing was Lego. Um, and then he got into computer programming. So he, and, and I would say math was his first language. And English is a second language.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um, he, but he, he knows how to read enough and he almost became uh, specialized in his vocabulary in what was most important to what he needed to know, which was computer programming.
0: Of course. Right.
1: And then he also used it his way. Like, I remember thinking, oh, he's, he just read from Bob books two years ago <laughs> and now he's got this thick thing. And I said, well, how, how are you? I said, again, I asked, are you reading this book <laughs> are you like reading to understand he goes no he said what I do it's almost like he felt embarrassed like he was teaching me a cheat that I was not going to value he said no what they do is they put all these programs in the book so I just go to the computer and I input all the program exactly as they have it and I see what the computer does and I go oh that's what that's doing oh and he said then I go read wow what a clever right so if you do give them a reason or, or or a formula in which you're supposed to learn, yeah. he just went with what he knew. He's like, well, I don't, I know how to see how a computer does things. So if I just input what they're doing, and I thought, how clever, you know. So I was, he was relieved, like, okay, I'm not like <laughs> being, being in trouble or something. Like, I don't know why he would think I would, but I think, wow, you are so clever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> what yeah, good idea. Such a good idea, a good idea. <laughs> and it, it's. You know, this conversation is just so, is such a great reminder for me. Like, you know, again, de-schooling again, right? Still de-schooling. And I I love you referring to your book as de-schooling on crack. Cause it's like, you know, we still do that, right? We still try and even we're explaining things and speaking either with our kids or others that we're working with. And I'm thinking like in the unschooling and homeschooling world, you know, trying to justify things, I guess, because we so think of it in that framework of how school is or how it should be or how we were taught the process to do things, to learn how to read, Uh, doing math even as well, right? Relating it to, oh, I understand it now in this math problem way or in this math question way, when really um, it's so, it's, you know, like saying if someone can do math or not, is actually not about whether they can add or subtract or know their multiplication tables. That's actually not what it is, right? But that's how we so define it and are so stuck on our kids having to know that by a certain age when they could maybe regurgitate it, but really have no idea of what it means, of what it can represent, like the imagery of it or how it's just another tool in a bigger, broader world of problem solving, or a shortcut in some ways, right? And there's even ways to do that in different shortcuts. But yeah, it's it's such a good reminder for me, not to translate things into school speak. And that it's just, you know, that there's so many other ways in our world that unfortunately have been shaded over and then, you know, but like, it, I think, you know, this work is to uncover, to put the light on all of those things. And you're really, really doing that, Cindy. So Perfect. thank you so much. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and to give some examples just right there, I, when I was writing my book and I finished it, I shared with a few people who were working with me at the time, uh, my neighbor, who is a successful home builder, he, I told him what I was doing and then he lowers his voice and says he drops out. He dropped out in tenth grade, and he was still carrying shame.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But He's a successful home builder, but he carries that shame. He said, "You're going to change lives with this book because he recognized himself in it." My my um, person who did my graphic design, same thing, told me he dropped out in eleventh grade, mm-hmm. and he said, "You're going to change lives because that was him, and he just couldn't take it anymore." And, you know, I have a whole different view, you know, in the day, dropouts were, well, failures, right? Now Mm -hmm. I'm starting to realize there were a lot of dropouts who just couldn't take it anymore Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and said, I can't stay in an environment that I don't fit. I can't continually feel shamed for not being good enough. And the thing is about right-brained people, they often are highly sensitive. And they're, they're going to be the first ones that say, I'm stupid.
0: Mm.
1: And that's and it's hard. It's hard. And then, and then people can say, oh my gosh, it's too late. It's, it's never going to be too late um, to have new information and share that and, and then create value for for that child to say, oh, I just found out this new information and now I understand and I'm sorry. Let's go from here and all the things that you were doing. And, you know, when I'm sharing this information, when I when I give examples like this, I never have to convince anybody because in the whole audience, they're all nodding. And they're thinking, mm-hmm. I've seen my child skip the, <laughs> or I've seen my child like Kelvin uh, and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're saying, I'm seeing, and I was not valuing it because I was measuring it against the other stick, which is the left brain measuring stick. And now you've given me place to breathe and say, okay, okay, I see it now. And now I have a whole different lens. It's like I was walking around with one set of glasses. I take that off and I can see more clearly, right? If mm-hmm. so I had that left, left brain lens over my eyes and everything was filtered through it, yeah. right? And we need to remove it and see who they are because their process is valid, yeah, absolutely. and it's not fair that it is not being valued. It's not fair that they're being told that they are not good enough, including disabled, absolutely. for having a different process and a particularly a different time frame. Yeah. And that's why on my website you'll see that I have written out for we left brain people who seem to need that scope and sequence, mm-hmm. and I wrote that scope and sequence out for right brain people. That if not measured against left brain, they're gonna cover all the subjects too, just in a different order. Mm-hmm. And just in a different way. It's still by 13, everything's covered. And that's the other thing, you know how I said you have to have the story that you tell yourself. One of the stories I told myself was, okay, in elementary, mainly I learned to read and do addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. That's kind of what I what I remember. <laughs> okay. In middle school, everything is repeated just at a middle school level. History is repeated, science is repeated, all the stuff's repeated. Then in high school, it's all repeated again, Mm -hmm. right? So I have three chances to get something in them. So I can wait. If they don't get history of American history, this thing in sixth grade, like they have it in their scope and sequence. They might like it ninth grade they don't like it in ninth or or in eighth grade, and if they didn't like it in eighth or else well, in tenth grade, something happened and we we exposed them and they got excited about it and remember it so once they remember it once they're interested in it they're not going to forget like we do when we spit out for a test. So we have, and frankly, we have four chances because college they repeat it again.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so my daughter I never think, had biology. I think five chances because then, as an adult, yeah. there might be yeah. another spark. Where I think of how many things I've learned in my 30s, in my 40s. Yes,
1: yes. true. Well, you remember how much I hated history, <laughs> <laughs> all through school. So then I'm like, my son who liked it made me appreciate it, right? Because as an adult. Get to re see it through somebody's lens that loves it, and I don't have to have a test for it,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You have that a different connection with it. Yeah, I, I love that. I I know we're getting to our time, so I would really appreciate if you could share again your website and um, first your website and your book name because we can get your book, we can order it through, we can go through your website, we can go through Amazon, how we can how we can get access to you that way.
1: Right. So going to www.therightsideofnormal.com, that title came from, you know, there is, we think of left brain learners as normal and right brain learners as learning disabled, but there is a right side of normal as well. And, and just a, as a quick thing. I feel all dyslexic people are right brain, but not all right brain people will be dyslexic. I feel all people who are ADD or ADHD are right brain learners, but not all right brain learners will be ADD or ADHD. So just because you're right brain does not mean you will be labeled learning disabled. It's just something that can
0: happen. Right. Okay.
1: Um, but anyway, so there is an article under we have free access, but actually all my stuff's free access right now. Um, under free access. Under free introduction post, there's something called the natural learning development for right brain children. That kind of gives you a nice summary of what a right brain learner is um, and their little scope and sequences in there. And uh, the fact that they are going to have a creative outlet of some sort that's, um, that is part of their core learning, um, such as computers or puzzles or art or theater or music, building, cooking, fashion, any of those kind of things. Um, it kind of gives you that rundown. And also on, the, on my website, you just have a list of left brain traits and right brain traits. And remember, we cross over into each one, but you're going to find that you are dominant in one side.
0: Right. Okay. What I'm going to do too, is I will put this in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just go into the show notes and click on the links as well. So I'll have that in there too. So it's easy in that way. Okay, so now I would like you as well to, how can we learn more about your agile learning community, about your self-directed learning community?
1: Um, I'm not under an agile learning um, umbrella. Okay. I just kind of created my own um, way of of existing. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I, I went to an agile learning center for some training just because I felt like they had some value to add to what I was creating. Um, uh, but I, I'm very different as well, but it's still self-directed. Direct, self um, it is at www.clclexington.com. Um, we can put that in, and, and you can just see what I'm doing. That whole thing has come about because I just wanted to be part of, of the people who want to offer another alternative to public education
0: mm-hmm. that
1: could be replicable easily replicable so frankly i'm i just finished my fifth year i need i want to put a packet together to support people opening these creative learning centers everywhere because i wanted to keep it small because you think about some of these other self directed schools like the ALCs well they're big you know mm-hmm. most people are going to go there's no way you know, yes. I'm not going to do that.
0: Too but, daunting. So, yeah,
1: yes. But what I wanted to create was something almost like a daycare. There's daycares everywhere, mm-hmm. right? I wanted it to be that accessible, that we could have. So I only have 12 at the most. You can have eight. You can have seven. However many you want to attend, and whatever environment you want to put it in is viable. I just wanted more accessibility uh, in a price point that can reach middle class. And then if you have enough, I have enough I'm making that I offer usually one or two free, um, attenders, you know, that can't afford it. I want to have a little mix there. Um, so that's kind of the big picture of why I created it. I still, of course I love working with kids <laughs> and, um, and I just decided to choose middle school and high school. Um, as my focus. Um, I've had interest from five to 18. I had my first graduate this year. Yay. She had been with me four years and actually graduated with me. Um, but people have gone back into high school from me, middle school, college successfully in my unschoolly, self-directed uh, space without a bunch of academics that had to be trailing behind them. So that's why I did it. So yes, people can reach out to me if they're saying, hey, I want to open one and." Washington state and Minnesota. And, you know, I would love to start supporting people doing that.
0: That's fantastic. Okay. Um, and then anyone who's interested, can they reach you directly? Should they go through the right side of normal or should they go through clclexington.com to... Both of them will get to me. They okay. both have forms, contact forms. Perfect. I love that. Thank you so much, Cindy. Whenever we get to chat, you're always such a wealth of information and I truly appreciate it for myself personally. (laughs) So I know others listening are going to as well. Um, Yeah. And I'm grateful that you had, I mean, a while back reached out to me and and connected and shared your website. And uh, yeah, so I want to thank you very, very much.
1: Well, and I appreciate you're, you're willing to hear because, you know, as I, as you said in my intro, I I was extensively involved with conferences as my way to get the information out. Well, conferences really have kind of, um, you know, faded out. Um, And so podcasts and, and other ways, I want to start opening myself up to those avenues to try to get that information out still. Yeah. So I appreciate you letting me
0: come on. Oh, my pleasure, my absolute pleasure, and um, I love it when you join us on Clubhouse as well too. So we have to have you as a another host with us too, coming up very very soon. And you can also find Cindy on there too. Thank you so much. Um, all of the, this will be added to the show notes. How you can access what well, Cindy's website, learn more about her self directed. I don't even want to call it a school, but self-directed center. Um, Yeah. The kids
1: will call it a school because that's just how kids are, but yeah, it's not a school. And then one more real quick thing, since you brought up clubhouse, I, I, I'm starting, I got myself on clubhouse. What I'm going to try to see how my kids feel from my center, if they want to go on my space and be a voice on my homeschooling creatively clubhouse.
0: Awesome
1: see if they want to do that. I think that would be really fun to get the kids' voices out there.
0: I think that's a great idea. And um, yeah, if they're comfortable in doing that, let me know when that will start. And I'm happy to share that and tune in myself. So I think that's fantastic. Okay, awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining me. All right. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and remember, if Night Zookeeper sounds like the perfect learning program for your child, you can try it for free by clicking on the link in my show notes. And when you register, you'll get a 7-day risk-free trial as well as a huge 50% off your annual subscription. That's a great deal! So try Night Zookeeper today and make reading and writing fantastically fun for your child. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com.